Hey, Kurt, are you on here with us? All right. Welcome to uh, a um, another Jaws Mental Health Awareness, uh, which is part of the uh, World of Ability Podcast Network. Uh, we are without Jen today, but hopefully uh, she will be back next week. Um, but we have a special guest today with uh, Melanie Vakirka. Um, and that's over to you, John. Do you have anything you'd like to get started here? So, um, uh, we are, John, can you hear me? I don't know if John can hear me. Hello? Yeah, I can hear everybody. Uh, so, so let me just take a start of a joke to kind of say, and it will introduce yourself. I'll say a little bit about who you are, what you do, that kind of thing. So who do you want to start, Emily? So I, I was just wondering if you wanted to uh, uh, kind of introduce yourself. Oh, you want me to introduce myself or John? Yeah. Not me. So my name is Melanie, and I am a mom of four kids, a personal trainer for over 33 years. I've been in the health and fitness field for a long time, and about a year ago, I stumbled across a mental wellness company that has um, changed my life and my family. And I'm so excited to be here and for my children to be here and introduce it to other people. Um, I'm John Tarr and um, I'm the website and graphic designer for the group. And I come on the podcast, the Christian podcast, which is on uh, uh, after this one. Anybody else? I yeah. think you're muted, Emily. Emily. Unmute, Emily. All right. We are in the mental health awareness uh, field today. Um, um, so... So, so Melanie, what what's kind of, I know you're kind of in like the um, <clears throat> the health arena as well. Kind of like what's your kind of experience with the whole like mental health like awareness? Yeah, so mental health in my family has been has been kind of tricky, and I say tricky because um, I'm a mom of four kids. I can put a lot of stress on your mental health as well. But I have two kids with disabilities. Um, about a year and a half ago, my 21-year-old daughter was diagnosed with autism, and I have a 24-year-old son with cerebral palsy. And the reason she took so late to get um, diagnosed is I was almost in a blinder. I just just dealt with it. I just dealt with it because I had a son with cerebral palsy 
you know, I just was in the rhythm, knew, you know, knew what kind of knew what to do. Didn't really ignore it, but didn't want anything else on my plate at the time. And once she moved on her own is when the mental issues started showing more up, like panic, such as panic attacks and um, ways that she was not able to cope. And her coping mechanism was no longer there. She was in a new city, a new town with college and didn't really know how to cope. And then you have the extent of, I have a son who has been bullied by many coaches and that wears down on you, your, your mental wellness. You know, I don't understand why coaches have to be so mean. I don't understand why coaches can't just coach and, you know, find the kids strengths and actually um, build on their strengths and not pry on their weaknesses. And we have a coach right now that's prying on my son's weaknesses and trying to bring him down and then bring him down, throw them back up. But you know, sometimes mental wellness, you can't handle that. And then how do you handle that as a parent too? So our mental wellness has taken such a toll because of um, things that are out of our control. Like I, you, he's going to be 16. You can't just walk on the field anymore and tell the coach what to do. So you have to coach him through the mental wellness as well. So over the last couple of years, we've had to some really mental struggles with all three of my kids and it took a toll on myself and my husband. Interesting. Um, I can talk about my mental awareness. Um, when I was born, I was born deaf in one ear and um, I'm 70 years old and I was born in 1952. And in the 50s, uh, they didn't really understand a whole lot. Um, so they thought uh, when I was in kindergarten and first grade, they thought I was retarded. And uh, they took took me to a doctor, uh, um, psychologist, and he interviewed me and he came back to my parents and said, this kid's not retarded. He's got, you can't hear him. You take him and get him a hearing test. And that's what they did. And they found out I was uh, deaf in one ear. So I kind of came out of that uh, in my psyche that I was retarded, okay? So it took a long time and they, my my family even considered me as a retarded also. So it was like my whole life, I had to prove that I was not retarded, that I could do things like normal people. Anyways, I have a physical disability right now. Um, I had a um, hip replacement that became infected and I went through 10 operations fighting the infection because they almost had to take my, almost killed me first. And then uh, they ha almost had to cut my leg off. Uh, so I went through all these things and going through that, I have that physical disability, but it has also caused uh, some really heavy duty depression in my life. Mm -hmm. So um, I, always, I think I've always dealt with a low grade depression through all my life. Uh, but this became a real battle and there were times that life seemed very gray and then other times black. So it was hard to um, really engage in a lot of things. And uh, as a result, my wife and I uh, became divorced. We, we got divorced. But a few years ago, a couple of years ago, we remarried each other again. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I've had to do. I went to a 12-step, men's 12-step program 
trying to understand and pull uh, pull back the onion in my life to try to figure out. And I found I found out in that 12-step program uh, in Ahwatukee, Arizona, that I'm not alone. A lot of men suffer from the very things that I do. But now, as I got on this program, I find a lot of people, women also, are dealing with this. So, um, so disability, and that's why Jennifer and I um, um, get along so well, and we have all these long conversations about it because she suffers from uh, uh, physical and mental uh, disabilities also. It's going to be very, Melanie, it's going to be very interesting uh, to hear how you deal with these two different children um, and what you have to do for them uh, to make them a positive um, a positive role model or a positive uh, thing in our lives and also you. Because I know um, uh, when I went through a lot of this stuff, my my wife was my is my caregiver. Um, so, what kind of a toll does this take on you as a caregiver for these children? So, this is going to be very interesting, and I want to hear all about it. Mm -hmm. So, the toll that it takes on me is I, in the beginning, always never put myself first. It was always putting them first. It was always putting what they needed, always trying to stay positive, positive for them. And I have a disability as well. So I knew how to fight with the fight for them. And the school, I have learning disability, reading comprehension, dyslexia. So I still read at a sixth grade level. So I, I, I knew that some stuff was, was going, was going on and I knew how to handle it in the school and how to fight for them in the school. But then when it came to the social aspect of it, I didn't know as well, you know, and that's when the social aspect of it took me, took a hold of me. Like, um, I remember my son with, with cerebral palsy, he, we put him in every sport. We never told him no, but there was one time when the coach said to him, I'm going to put you in this game because you'll be no good to us in the championship. You know, how do you talk it, talk a kid through, through that? That's the coach's problem, not his, right? So how do you, how do you talk him through? You know, um, why was my daughter, um, always not having friends and she would um, aggressively fight for what she thought was right, whether she was right or wrong. And I just thought it was her and her personality at the time. She's real spunky. She jumped around, you know, little did I know that that was part of her autism. You know, that was part of, of who she, who she was and how I dealt with it as a mom. To tell you the truth, I didn't deal with it as a mom well until I put myself first. I had to realize that, that myself had to come first and I had to be in the best mental state in order to help them. And if I wasn't in the best mental state, then I would fall apart at times that they honestly need me. You know, I couldn't stand up for them. Um, we had my daughter, um, the force, my second, my first daughter was a national champion in dance and they would take ownership of her and she would just, she was so smart that she would excel and she learned so fast that she was 11 dancing with 18 year olds and winning national championships. Right. So when we had time to leave, these people took ownership of us and they actually took us to court. 
over her a couple times. Wow. Um, because she, it, it was just unbelievable how she can pick up this choreography, but yet the social aspect of it, she didn't understand why, you know, when she left that studio, they, they couldn't still be friends. You know, she fell apart in that aspect. Why can't we still be friends? You know, it, it's not, I'm not doing something to them. I'm trying to better my, better what I'm doing because I want to do this as a career. So, um, going back to how I handled it, I didn't handle it well at all. You know, I didn't handle it well at all. I didn't understand why I was having, you know, rages. Like I, I don't cry. I'm not really a crier. I'm one of those people that I would rage. I would get mad. I would get defensive. I would get angry at the situation because why are you, when we're choosing to better somebody, why are you taking it out on them? You know, so I had to go through a lot of talking with people and a lot of counseling, a lot of praying and a lot of, a lot of spiritual work and finding, finding myself and who I am and how I can find other ways to help myself help them is, is what I had to do. And it was a lot that I found out of shutting my mouth and listening to them is what was, what had to happen. I wanted to fix everything. I wanted everything to be perfect for them. I didn't want them to go through the struggles that I had to go through, but they had to go through that in order to better themselves. And I just had to kind of guide them. So it, it, it's tough. It, it, it's tough, but if is it worth it? 120,000% worth it. Wow. 120,000%. So, yeah. I think people with disabilities have certain amount of anger issues. Mm -hmm. um, I know my uh, in my 12-step group, there was a lot of guys that were alcoholics and drug users and gamblers and stuff. I never uh, dealt with those things, but I have, um, I have anger issues. And that's what I had to deal with. Um, so um, being a caregiver... I think that's the number one thing. I have to keep an eye on my wife because I'm aware of this because she gets really run down in a lot of different ways. And she has, she's never dealt with anger issues until she started being my caregiver. And it just sent her over the top. Um, so I have to keep an eye on her and make sure she takes care of herself. She goes out and has some friends to, to hang out with once a week. Um, and then um, so she can talk to other uh, caregivers, too, and talk about what's going on in her life and how can she make this better. And, of course, her, her faith is a big deal. She goes to God and Jesus every day um, because she's trying to understand that, of things that are going on. So... Um, I suggest, uh, and you already know this, Melanie, that you need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to have uh, mm -hmm. a group and, and other people that you can talk to about what's happening to you. Because uh, I think the worst thing in the whole world is to feel like you're all alone and no one else really cares about, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, that's very interesting what you're saying here. And a lot of um, that came out of COVID. You know, a lot of it came out in COVID because you couldn't and you had to learn coping mechanisms. And you had to learn different coping mechanisms. The kids still had the disabilities, 
but now we're locked in the house together. We're locked in. Uh-oh. You know, we, we had to deal with our issues together when we were with COVID. We didn't have a choice. You couldn't just send them outside or to the grocery store to get a break. So during COVID, yeah. we were forced to deal with, with some of the issues that came up. And I mean, it, it ended up at one point that my daughter and I didn't talk for a few months. But that's wow. what was needed. It was actually yeah. needed that way because she needed to find herself and her way, not the way that I wanted her to be. So she had to find her way. We still guided, but she had to find her way. And the only way I could do that was by pulling back. I had to pull back and give her the freedom to move forward. You know what? It's interesting about uh, COVID. Um, I've been reading a lot about it, and there's were some uh, good things, but there was a lot of bad things, especially children going to school. And they have found that the the, the kids have receded and are not lear- learning on the pace before COVID like uh, like they had been. So they're trying to figure out how all this is uh, functioning and not having that relationship by going to school. But yours is interesting. Yours is actually a positive. So there are those out there too. So COVID was, is a very strange uh, thing on many levels, not just because of the virus, but how it isolated a lot of people, especially children. You right. know, so, so. It's not about mental issues. So like three out of four people have a form of anxiety or depression. Three out of four. What, what is it? What is it? Three out of four people have some form of anxiety or depression. So, okay. you know, we can talk about that, but that's kind of, you know, COVID is kind of in the past and we have to deal with the issues that, that are brought up now because even before that, we had issues with, with with mental health, right? And this that just something that was brought out. So we can look at it as a positive aspect as of now we have to deal with it. And now we can deal with it and it's not put in the closet. Or we can look at it as a negative and say, oh my gosh, we, we have, you know, this is this is something bad that we're all dealing with. But now at least it gave us an avenue to talk about it and to be able to be positive about it and to find different avenues and to help each other and not be so ashamed of having anxiety and not being so ashamed of having, you know, a um, um, being depressed for that day. You know, oh, honey, it's okay. You'll get over it. Well, no, you know, it, it's not always that easy. It's just patting somebody on the back and saying that you'll get over it. It sometimes takes a village to help somebody get over it, right? And I think that that by um, the positive light of it is that it was brought to the forefront that we do have it, mental wellness issues. We do have have to be aware of um, different things. We have to be aware of each other and we have to be respectful of each other. So such as if you're in the grocery store and you see a child with... Um, autism that is having a mental breakdown, ask the parents if they need help. Don't just stare at them. Don't pull out your phone and and videotape what is going on. You know, they might have other children that you might be able to help with that they that are with them at the time where they're having that mental breakdown. So it's a great opportunity to help each other rather than hurting each other. And that's what a great wow. aspect it was that was brought out. I think that's a good point that you just made. If you're in a store and you see uh, a mother um, that's having a problem like that, 
and has a couple kids. And you never think about doing that. You never think that um, to do that. You don't want to get in the middle of something, you know. But sometimes that that mother uh, might be having a breakdown and she can't deal with it. Um, I know my wife works. You're just distracting the kids. Like you're distracting them. You know, you're making a, you're, she has one less thing to help with. You'll walk away with them and, you know, you just, you know, talk, talk with the other kids. Just take some, take some pressure off. Yeah. My wife works at Hobby Lobby and uh, she works in the fabric department part-time. But she tells me uh, uh, sometimes of, of uh, children with their mother go, uh, having a breakdown. And she's at times she's gotten angry about it. Uh, because it's the spring, what's going on? But then I said, you know, you don't, you don't know what's happening with this mother. And I said, have a little patience for her. And then uh, she kind of looks at me sheepishly and then says, yeah, you're right. Um, sometimes we're into our own tunnel vision, and we don't want to interfere in anybody else's life. But sometimes people need help. And the mere fact that you even offer it is a big deal, too. So thank you for bringing that up, Melody. Thank you. They can always have the choice of saying no. And I have you have to respect that, too. Yep. Yep. Currents here. Curry, you have any comments? You've heard the last that you came on a few months ago. No, no, I got nothing. Not just kidding. Just kidding. Just kind of kind of loosen this up a little bit. Boy, we're getting pretty serious in here. So, you know, we got a little have a little comic relief <laughs> here to make it through the time. So so Melanie, um, we're gonna put you on the spot a little bit. We're gonna ask you the special K question of the day. Um, folks who follow these shows regularly, you know, know this where you're at with it. Most people with a discussion like this don't know the answer, but what is the greatest um, healthcare crisis uh, known to humankind? What is the greatest healthcare crisis? Or, or what is the thing that is the, the greatest uh, derivative of um, the work that people do in healthcare? Like, where is it all coming from? Lack of compassion. Towards one another it goes hand it goes hand in hand with that. So yeah, you, you're you're right. Yeah, I mean right that lack of compassion. You have to understand. I mean, if somebody walks in, I'm a former EMT, so you could have anybody who I'll give a finger prick. For somebody could take a finger prick and think it is nothing, but somebody could do a finger prick and think it is the end of the world. But you know that you don't know what they've been through. So so compassion is something that's that's gone down the tubes because the workers have been through a lot. You know, they it, it's it's been a turning point in medical care, as you said, the medical workers. It's been a turning point where they're stressed out. So we need compassion on both sides. So what you wait a little bit longer. So what if you you know compassion? Yeah. So so a little bit more directly where the root um, circumstances is from is social isolation. Mm-hmm. That, that's the determination is that if you look at the issue around the world of social isolation and then you look at how that isolation brings on different 
theological and psychological and you know physiological you know that whole science of what it does to us to be in that social oh, yeah. isolation now some people you know under their own terms can thrive with their prescription of social social isolation so it's not it's not like oh my gosh you know you know billy's socially isolated let's go rescue right. no, it's not like that but the idea is like um like the conversation was when i came in it's the idea of uh, of being available so, so the offer so so that's the important part is to ask and, and to be ready available so that that takes the compassion element that you know that you're talking about we have a compassionate citizens uh podcast that we do with jennifer and so forth and um so yeah it's all integral to this uh we have a friend norlin who talks about beloved communities and you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the, the idea of neighboring is in a different place these days. It's not like it was back in the 50s oh, or that. 60s, stuff like that. You know, so so to me, this is the important part. And like when we say we offer, you know, our, you know, like we lend an ear, you know, if we offer that, if that's helpful, um, you know, the idea is in agency work they talk about self-determination so i think that's that's kind of the buzzword for professionals is self-determination so that kind of steers the professional to refrain a little bit from trying to be i've got my doctorate and i know exactly what you need to do you know that type of thing there's a lot to that as a resource right but then it takes that active involvement by the one who is leaning on you you know, for the resource that you are. So, so it's been an interesting um, contemplation for me in the years past, you know, to learn how that all gets navigated in the social work, social mission. Um, and speaking of compassion, Emily, did you kick John out of the meeting or did he leave or what happened? Uh, Is John okay? No, you, as far as I know, you just started talking and he left. Or he turned off his camera. Let me... <laughs> he did. He also his camera went off. I was like, okay. Oh, he's, so he's, he's still, still... He's, he's still he's still connected. He just has his video off. Ah, all right. All right. <laughs> wow. Well, I just want to make sure everything's okay. Because actually, um, you know, with the Happy Neighborhood Project, you know, we were in a meeting where it ended up being all okay but it was it was an experience of trying to be sure of you know what was going on we had somebody that uh, during an event on zoom zoom event participating in the zoom event everybody leaves and, and we see one of our friends is just sitting there you know basically taking a rest you know on you know at the desk and just not responding to our, you know, call out to say, hey, are you okay? And whatever. So so we reached out to the authorities and this, that, and the other thing. And after about 20 minutes of taking all these precautionary steps, all of a sudden our friend kind of came to. And apparently it's a part of, you know, pre-existing condition or whatever. Okay. You know, so I don't know exactly what it was, but it was an assurance that, it wasn't the first time that happened and it's something that that our friend needs to deal with and it's just kind of there but uh 
you just never know. So like with John disappearing, I'm like, ooh, am I in another you one? Back? I brought something back where you're like, wait a minute here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so the idea of being of sound mind to make sure we're in uh, being an EMT, we were taught the critical thinking process and the idea of pertinent negatives. So it's like, John's not okay until, until you get direct verification. He's okay, yes. Uh -huh. Speaking of that, did you try to get the regular CPR? It's so different. Yeah, the CPR. Oh, yeah. When you I first learned so it, it was a lot of uh, rescue breathing, and now they're all about the um, chest compressions. Yeah. So, so it's like, get ready for a workout, folks. <laughs> yeah, chest pushing. <laughs> yeah, you, you be working those, you know, lats and those, you know, triceps and everything. Oh, yeah. to, well, with do you know the Michael Jackson song, what Annie is about, right? Apparently CPR. I mean, you will know. Annie, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, right. It's actually about the that that remember the the um. I hate saying it, but the dummy, that's what it was. It was, <laughs> yeah. Annie, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to rub the sternum. Don't do that anymore. What's that? Don't do that anymore. <laughs> was so, I was so bitter last time I went. It was kind of funny because I had ALS and I went to regular CPR. And, yeah, it was. Talk about having had to have compassion for the instructor. I was like, I can teach this whole thing now. <laughs> So you're saying they're bypassing the whole, well, probably what they're thinking, you start thumping on their chest, you know, if there's something where they're going to wake up and you start, you know, doing chest compressions, if they can come to, they're going to, you don't have to worry about it. Can you much. imagine? I'd be like, whoa, okay, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> talking about, talking about mental health. Somebody did that to me when I was doing CPR. I have a whole mental health issue. Yeah, all I know is if I needed help and then I came to with John over me ready to do chest compressions, I'd be like, okay, all right. <laughs> no need for drugs. That got me going. <laughs> yeah, see, John turned his camera back on. We had right. John back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what am I putting myself into? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be good mental awareness. <laughs> Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So, Emily, what what's next in the program? You got us set about the halfway mark here, I believe, unless you're changing the duration. But this is like your halftime show, I believe, right? Oh, Emily's doing halftime show. All right, come on, Emily, let's go. Here you go. <laughs> I'll put on my glasses. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we call this OMG. Those glasses are you, Melly? Kirk can put on his green green glasses. I'll keep him here for when Kirk gets his green. All right, Emily, we're, we're we're just about ready for you. All right, there we go. We're ready. What's the halftime show going to be? Oh, oh. <laughs> this is, this is. Oh, those are good, Kirk. <laughs> Kirk no, I do. Glare. These are my no, I do have issues. Yeah, there's no glare on the on these here. So yeah, but didn't those who used to have those with the dollar sign on them? The dollar was sign? I've seen them with dollars. Yeah. Was it MC, 
Oh my gosh. Okay, that perfect memories. That dates all Yeah, MC Hammer. That sounds right. Yeah, with uh-huh. his big balloon looking uh, pants <laughs> on. Yeah, it's hammer time. Uh, all right, but, but I guess maybe so if you're at a halftime show here. Uh, this is one of uh, what is now four shows with the Joe's Coffee Chip. Uh, that everybody is um, welcome to come on as a guest. We are always looking for guests. Uh, we have a uh, Jaws Diet, uh, this mental health one. We have Jaws Christ Talk, um, which are all three on Mondays. And then we just started a new one like a week ago um, called the Jaws Follow Your Dreams. Um, so, to please connect with me, Kurt, John, or Jen, if you're looking to join us on that. Um, and a special thanks to Marcus, John, Marcus, Jay, and Zach for allowing us to do this on their, their platforms. Um, and anything you want to add, Kurt, for any announcements during halftime here? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's it's about your announcement, the part about uh, follow your dream. I just, you know, the way my mind works, I'm like, wow, I have some dreams that be a wild ride to follow those dreams. So, so I'm wondering where this show is going to be taking us. Follow your dreams. What do we all dream about during our sleeping hours? Or what do you dream for your life? Yeah. <laughs> Emily, what what made you want to start that group? Because that's amazing. Start what? So, what made you want to start that group? Because that's amazing. So the the so this show isn't actually my show. It's a Jen's show. So all four of them are Jennifer A. Whitaker's shows. Um. And I think um, it's something to do. I think, well, I'm not exactly totally sure her whole reason, but it's um, her partnering with a friend of hers and um, them doing like uh, music and they have several things going on. I don't totally remember everything that they have going on during the, now going on during that show, but uh, it's on, on Friday afternoons. Um, the reason I say that is because, you know, following your dreams and thinking about your dreams sometimes can give you a break from your mental awareness that we're, what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your, your yeah. mental health and giving you a goal to work towards uh, towards instead of just being stuck in that little, you know, mindset of yours that you can't get out of. So that's a great thing. It actually ties yeah. right into today. Yeah. Yeah, it's something for you to look forward to instead of maybe going the other direction, like getting depressed or anything like that for if things aren't really, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Right. Well, no, and you said it because sometimes when stuff doesn't make sense is when your mind starts going off in another direction and that's when depression and anxiety can come in. So, you know, thinking, you know, about something and then how do you make it happen? You know, finding those people to make it happen. So you've got some great people I know around you that are helping make your stuff happen. And that's amazing. 
Yeah, I think all of us do, right? Oh, don't shy yeah, away from it. We're going to spotlight you for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, please let me, let me go. <laughs> but you're doing great, Emily. I mean, a lot of people who have autism like you do, you know, shy away from things. And I'm seeing you right now just go full force ahead of it. And um, having a tribe around you when it's not always easy is, is one of the best things that you can do. But make sure that the tribe always stays positive around you, too. Yeah, yeah we don't need that. Yeah, yeah, we don't need to get the negative part. Because that can be detrimental, too. I think that's yeah. uh, at a certain point, yeah. And you hit it. So when somebody negative comes in, how can it be detrimental to you? Because that's a great point that you just had. Oh, right? detrimental is the, totally the right word, but that direction. I mean, yeah, um, no, but it might not you, but some people. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, like, uh, maybe like staying in, like, with not communicating with the people that maybe are doing the stuff that you usually do or communicating like doing the yeah. stuff that you usually do like in the whole depression and which isn't always a good thing yeah you know need some kind of interaction somehow and well i think people I think. around you especially when you have a disability that kind of understand you. So when you get, when, when stuttering happens or when um, a mind block happens or when they can snap you, know how to snap you out of it and move you forward is a huge thing. Cause I know I always say to my kids, quick, five, five positive things for one negative. Like, hey, I don't want to, five positive things for one negative. And I don't want to, then go to your room cause I want to hear you. <laughs> You know, and they just look at me like, like I'm crazy. And I'm like, but that I want you to snap out of it. And I want you to do that for me, you know, <laughs> remind me too. Cause I get in that state as well. Five positives for one negative, you know, you can find five positives about anything, everyone. And I don't care if it's the color of their shirt that day, <laughs> the color of their eyes, you can still find five positives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I can find five positive things about my son's coach. Anybody can find my positive things. <laughs> so, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I on the bright side of things. Uh -huh. My grandma always called me Pollyanna. If you remember Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. yep. I don't like to stay in the dark side for long. You're not going to get me there. I will always find the light. I will always find the positivity. You know, and that's what I try to remind other people about. Uh oh, are the wheels turning? It got really quiet. Mm -hmm. The wheels are turning. <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to find five positive things about me? Oh boy, this is gonna be fun when Jennifer gets back. <laughs> She's gonna be like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> She's gonna be like, what? <laughs> She's gonna be like, oh my goodness, what you guys talked about? <laughs> oh <laughs> um, 
it's a bad thing? Hopefully it's not. No, no, it's, 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 it's not a bad thing. No. Okay. I'm like, I don't know her yet. Oh, no. <laughs> no. She'll be fine, I hope. <laughs> right. Okay. <Hold> on. <laughs> All right, so mental wellness, mental health, right? That's what, what, yes, what we're here. What we're here to talk, talk a little bit more about. Um, maybe a trigger of each of us, something that like triggers us, and then something that pulls us back. Well, while we're while we're noodling that, maybe we can make sure to come back to it because it is a good a good prompt. Um, but as, as you guys are all talking, I was thinking of this dynamic in life with, um, you know, might say our elders, like elderly couples, where there's this dynamic in life where, where you have a married couple, they've been married for 40, 50, 60 years, 70, you know, whatever, however long they've enjoyed marriage. And then, you know, one of them passes on first. You know, I think this ties into mental health awareness because it's amazing, um, you know, what the grieving process and the social isolation to have, you know, a companion there day by day. And then like cold turkey, like all of a sudden you don't have that companionship. You know, it's just, uh, it's quite a life observation to see how, how the death of a spouse seems to be a contributing factor to earlier onset of passing on uh, for the surviving spouse, you know, but I just feel that there's awareness there that, you know, when, and I'm sure, sure the same effect happens if, um, you know, a spouse, you know, passes on might say prematurely or, you know, earlier in life, midlife, you know, because um, people are passing passing on, spouses are passing on, you know, at, at all different ages in life. Um, but it just seems more significant, you know, um, at least in my observations. You know, maybe it's just my particular journey, you know. But, um, you know, and I think that in today's age, I just feel like, again, around me anyway, I feel like this idea of... Um, the social dynamic, like within a family or within uh, four people who are elderly, you know, um, senior citizens or 70, 80 year olds and so forth. I just think we're in such a busy society. You know, it's like a double whammy. First of all, all that hasteful, busy life, you know, jamming so much into our calendars and, you know, all that instant gratification, entertainment centers and so forth. I think the digital world and otherwise has drawn us away from, you know, just going over by a senior citizen and, you know, visiting with them and so forth, you know, so I don't know, I don't know what what everybody else's observations are, but it seems like it's a trend that I think I'm picking up on, unless it's happening and just not around me, you know, I don't know. Yeah, broken heart syndrome, is that what you're talking about? Sounds right. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it depends on the person too. Cause I have one person right now that they just want to be left alone because they don't know really know how, 
And how do you be there? You know what I mean? How do you be there for somebody who just kind of wants to be, wants to be left alone? Um, I have a hard time going to nursing homes, like you said. I have a hard time because I want to spend time with every single one of them. Um, because I I wouldn't do that to one of my my um sibling, not sibling. Well, it could be siblings, right? It could be anybody. But yeah, it's it's I, it's not something I want to come be think about even now. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got two things to say about that. Um, I was in a nursing home and I uh, was going through my hip operations and uh, all kinds of things and. Uh, nursing homes are a scary place. It scared me to death because I would hear all these older people um, crying at night, you know, because they lost all, all their friends and family. Um, and here's another observation. I was actually in India. Uh, part of my operation thing was uh, in New Delhi, India that I went to. And I found out that family structures are very different there than they are here. And because they are so poor, um, they have to rely on family and family, uh, sometimes third and fourth generations live together. And they, a lot of times didn't eat dinner until 10 or 11 o'clock because the breadwinner wasn't getting home until that time. So they wanted to make sure that they ate all together and they would eat very late. Um, but their older people, um, nursing homes are almost unheard of in India because they do all the recovery and they take care of their old people, uh, four generations living under uh, not only one house, but a, like a compound where there's a number of houses in the compound. So they all live in there and they all uh, share dinners together. Um, so it's very different. Um, their older people are not left alone like they are in this country. So a lot of people in our country actually are scared of the retirement years. And if they lose, like Kurt was talking about, they lose their partner, they're all alone. And a lot of times they got to go into a nursing home or they live all by themselves. And I know my mom lived in Minnesota. I lived in Arizona, but she, she got very lonely. And as time she lived, uh, she died two days before her 90th birthday. But, um, and we were talking about uh, getting her to move in with us. Uh, and, but I know she was very lonely near the end because all her friends had died. And uh, we tried to keep up with her as much as possible. But um, um, our structure here in the United States in dealing with old people is, in my estimation, is really wrong. It seems like the more money we got, uh, the more uh, high-end that a, a nation becomes the less they care about their older people. And that is coming from India, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. But they have found a way to make sure everybody lives very close together. And uh, with me being in a nursing home, um, I realized that it was a big deal because it was a big deal for me. And I was, 
I was only 60 years old at the time, but a lot of people that are 70 and 80 years old, I feel very sorry for. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this mental awareness, this mental instability of our older generation? So that was a good point that you brought up, Kurt. You love the ones you can. That's all you can do. You love the ones you can. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yep. I'm hoping that I don't know if she's behind me. Yep. The the one of the dogs right there, the white one. I'm hoping in a couple months I get her trained to take into nursing homes because she likes to cuddle. So when she mm. cuddles, she tucks her head underneath you and just just snuggles in. And I would love to take her into nursing homes and just let them experience the love that spring gives us. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You know, when I was in the when I was in the nursing home, a friend of mine brought his wiener dog into the nursing home to visit with me. And they loved that. And he was only kind of coming to visit with me for about uh you know 25 minutes. But he ended up being there for four hours because he went from room to room with that dog. And it was amazing how many older people wanted to pet the dog because they all had dogs at one time. Uh, So the nursing homes allow you to do that. And if you have a ministry for going into nursing homes, take your dog. That dog will, um, will come right up to the people and it will understand it will understand what's going on. So that's that's probably a good thing. Um, so we got cats and dogs. Melanie, I saw her dog in the background back there. Oh, which way? Which way? Hold on. It's opposite. It's opposite on here on what they are. So it's like freaking me out. Which way I gotta go? There's it. Yeah, he was he was standing upright. Hello. What's his name? Well, this is Spring. So let me pick her up. This is the one that would go into nursing homes. Oh, well, hello, doggy. This is really cute. <laughs> so she. See, that's a perfect. That's a perfect size for a dog. Yeah, that's a perfect size for a dog. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Have anything in, in beans? You know, you could have Frank and beans. <laughs> <laughs> and I've taught her to say, I say, go say hi. And she'll go to, up to the person. See, that's what she does. She'll go up to the person and she shouldn't jump hard. She jumps up on them because she's so small. For them to say hi and they get done petting her and she just walks away. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's so, Emily, I, I think this is our time now to... Uh, that you come into this with that fabulous prompt that Melanie brought forward about triggers. So, so what kind of triggers do you have? Please do tell. (laughs) Triggers for, (laughs) you're welcome, Emily. (laughs) Triggers that disturb your mental health. This is mental health awareness. So what, what are the things that disturb your mental health that, you know, our viewing, listening audience, you know, if they ever come to visit with you or 
do activities with you to avoid doing because it triggers you. Um. I don't think I think this is, might be for everybody, but no. Always need to get get yelled at for something. It's not a good thing either. You don't like being yelled at, so that triggers you. So then, what you yell back it makes your temper go if you if you yell at, or how is it a trigger? I think you know of it a little bit, Kurt. I do. But I think other people, I understand what you're saying. So other people need to hear it because they might relate to you. So does it make you retreat? Does it make you yell back? Does it make you feel sad? That, that's because other people, trust me, yeah. Well, well just. Um, maybe a little bit of getting annoyed or kind of mad about okay. it, especially, especially if it's something that's kind of. Especially if it's like an everyday thing or if it's the same thing over and over and over. But kind of more matter frustrated, yeah. I guess. So annoyed at you or annoyed at the person, annoyed at yourself or the one that's yelling at you? Depending on what it is, maybe sort of both. Sort of both. So it becomes a real shared experience. So it's like a shooting match. It's trigger, 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 trigger. <laughs> 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 so john how about you what what's what are some triggers for you uh i don't have any triggers i'm i'm pretty okay <laughs> you're chill, huh? chill like a villain <laughs> well that's that's bs yeah i think uh, uh my wife triggers me how's that Whoa! <laughs> you might be in the doghouse after that one. Well, it's really true because uh, I don't really go a whole lot of places. I work out of my home unless I'm with my kids. So my wife and I are together a lot. So um, I think I think uh, because of my lack of hearing sometimes, that triggers me um, because I got to ask or say what, because I'm losing, I'm not only deaf in one ear, but I'm losing my hearing in the other, the good ear. So like right now, um, I can hear real well, but I got a Bluetooth in there. And then sometimes on some of our uh, podcasts or Zoom or Google Meets, I have the caption. And that really helps me to understand what's going on. But uh, I get triggered. Um, I guess when I don't have enough uh, sleep, I get triggered when I'm I'm real hungry, you know, um, things like that. So, um, and my wife is the same way. So we, when she gets real impatient with me, especially with my hearing, we uh, both ask, when was the last time you ate? When did you eat something? And then uh, it kind of... Uh, calm us both down and realizes we're both having a problem and we're not being patient with each other. Um, in the past, um, I was, I had uh, suffered from a lot of anger issues throughout my life and especially the way I was brought up in my family. Um, 
I hate to say this like this, but I was brought up in a German Catholic family and I was verbally abused on both ends. Uh, our family, uh, not physically, but it was uh, verbally abused. Um, I had two older sisters and a younger brother. And then when I went to school, I went to a Catholic uh, grade school and I was abused in the Catholic grade school. I was, you gotta, you gotta remember this is the 1950s. So I was a tough kid anyway. So they would uh, beat the crap out of me with paddles and stuff like that. In fact, it got so hard that uh, one nun would have to go into two other rooms and ask a couple other nuns for help. And they would have to corner me in, in a corner to be able to access and beat me. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, and I, and I, when I say this kind of stuff in a Catholic church, um, I hear that's, that, and especially in that day and age, that was a common thing. Nuns were never meant to be teachers. And they had a lot, a lack of understanding or patience for tough kids. Um, so, and I was a tough kid. And I, I remember one time uh, they took my, my desk and my seat and put it up at the front of the room right next to the, to the teacher. And there was another kid next to me and he asked to go to the bathroom a couple times and she refused to let him go. And he ended up uh, taking a pee um, in his pants right there. And all the rest of the kids saw it and they laughed at him. Uh, and that scarred me. It didn't happen to me, but that scarred me. That scared the crap out of me too. You know, so, you know, there's, I, you know what, I, I don't want to center on the Catholic church because there's a lot of Protestant churches that have done the same thing. And, uh, and, uh, uh, Jewish churches and uh, those kind of things have done it also. It's like the Catholic Church when it's it's had all these sexual abuses that have been going on. I'm sure everybody's heard about them in the in the news, but it's happened all across the board. So uh, if a kid didn't have a disability, then after that he would have anxiety attacks. You know. So I didn't mean to go off on a tangent right there, but. Uh, this is something I've suffered for. Many people have suffered for from it. So, and it, and it's, I was an atheist. Melanie, I was an atheist till I was 30 years old. And then I became a Christian. But it was because of those things that occurred in the Catholic Church that made me become an atheist in the first place. Because I always would think, if these people that say they are people of God, how could they treat children like this? Uh, but God found a way to get back to me, you know, and he used some really tough stuff. So it took tough stuff to drive me away, but it took tough stuff to bring me back. <laughs> God, God is amazing what he does. So it's been almost 40 years now, and uh, I'm, I'm glad he came back for me. And in the process, he uh, found my wife and my children and all my grandchildren. So our, our whole family is godly people now. Nice. nice. So my trigger is negative people. I can't, 
if it's when you can't find the positive in a situation, if, no matter how negative it is, it 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 triggers me. And um, John, I was one in first grade Catholic school. The teacher did not told me I could not go to the bathroom, and I peed in my pants in first grade. So <laughs> I was one that 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 did that. So you brought a trigger up there, but um, I made it through. I made it through, but yeah, not be positive. Yeah, find the positive. Yep. You know, uh, things that we go through in our life, uh, some very hard things, um, they don't happen to us if we believe in God. They don't happen to us for no nothing, for no reason. There's always a, a thing that God, and that's what you got to be careful so you don't complain and don't get angry. And I'm guilty of that, but I, I know that it didn't come and hit me by accident that God allowed it to occur in my life for a reason. There's always a reason for things. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, Emily, I think we're going to let that be the last word. And uh, so we're going to do a gentle wrap up here. So this is, again, uh, the work of Jennifer A. Whitaker and uh, Jaws Coffee Chat Series. And this is your Jaws Mental Health Awareness. So we hope, uh, I think all of us got a little bit more aware of mental health uh, there is a lot of nuggets uh, brought into this conversation so so emily dropped the last nugget what do you got uh anybody have any announcements i want to make Gary, you want to say anything about idh or festivus i'll take a pass on that i'd recommend we've got a a good hour show that we've had. So if you have anything briefly, otherwise I would say it's that, you know, wrap it up, put a bow on it type thing. Uh, I got one thing to say. Uh, in, in about uh, 25 minutes, we got another podcast. It's called Christ Talk. And I invite everybody to come over that to that. That, that becomes, it's very interesting to hear people's backgrounds of things uh, and questions that they might have when it comes to uh, Christianity or um, the Bible and things like that. So that's it for me. Um, so I then wanted to thank Melody and for coming on and for anybody who's tuned in. Anybody who has any questions, comments, and so on can connect with uh, me, John, Kurt, or Jen. Uh, and we wish everybody a safe and productive week and to stay happy. And thank you for having me. Have a great week. See you Thanks, again, Melanie. Yes, until next time. <laughs> yes. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye, -bye. Bye. I'll see you later.